Romans chapter 5. I'm going to look at one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture today. Romans 5, verses 1 through 11 show us the blessings of justification. We've been talking about justification by faith alone, and now God, the Holy Spirit, is giving us the wonderful blessings that come to those who have this faith, those who have put their faith in Christ alone for salvation. And we're going to answer a vitally important question today. Do you have assurance of hope? Do you have assurance of hope? Now, since Romans is a book of logic, I guess that's one of the reasons I love the book of Romans. It is certainly a book of logic. And because it is so, it is a book of therefores. It's a book of therefores. Today we're going to think about one of those therefores. In fact, there are two therefores in our passage today, which essentially give us the same idea. You'll see Romans 5, verse 1, you'll see one of those therefores, and then also Romans 5, verse 9, you see the other therefore. Now, let me just give you the short list of the therefores in the book of Romans, okay? You need to take note, whenever you see a therefore, you must ask the question, what is it there for? Okay, here's the short list, okay? We have the therefore of condemnation in Romans 3, verse 20. You also have the therefore of justification by faith alone in Romans 5, verse 1, and also verse 9. You have the therefore of no condemnation in Romans 8, verse 1, and the therefore of dedication in Romans 12, verse 1. Interestingly enough, those are some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, and they happen to be the therefores of Romans. Now, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is presenting his case. Think of the Apostle Paul as a lawyer. He's presenting his case. And you ask, well, what is his case? Well, he is striving to prove the key verse of the entire book of Romans. And in case you've forgotten what that is already, the key verse in the book of Romans is Romans 1, verse 17. Here it is. This is what it says. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In the entire book of Romans, well, at least up to chapter 11, Paul is striving to present his case, proving that justification is by faith alone. And then starting in chapter 12, Paul starts uh, several chapters of application How do you live out the truth of theology that you see in Romans 1 through 11? Well, where have we come from? Well, we've seen in chapters 1 through 3 that Paul has proved to us that the whole world is guilty before God and that no one can be saved by religious deeds. Nobody can be saved by good works such as keeping the law. It's impossible. You cannot get to heaven by keeping the law or religious deeds, or good works. They will never get you to heaven. You earn hell and the lake of fire if you try that route. And then in chapter 4, we saw that Paul explained that God's word or God's way of salvation has always been by grace, through faith, through Christ alone. It's always been that way, even in the Old Testament. And he used the father of the nation of Israel to prove his point. Abraham was the primary illustration in Romans 4, to prove that. 
Now, if you were in the city of Rome reading this letter, if you were a reader of this letter, and you happened to stop at the end of Romans chapter 4, you would, uh, you would know that you need to be saved and that you could be saved. But there is much more that God's Word wants, God wants us to know, I should say, much more that He wants us to know, and we need to know about justification by faith. Much more you need to know than just that. For example, think of this important question. Can you be sure that salvation will last? Because we, we, we've, we've heard about salvation at the end of chapter 3 and then in chapter 4, but does it last? What good is it to you if it doesn't carry all the way to the end? That's an important question. Well, in other words, let me put it to you this way, my friends. Is eternal security really eternal? Can you think of any more important question than that? Is eternal security really eternal? Well, here's another good question that Romans 5 brings up and answers. How is it possible for God to save a sinner through the death of Christ on the cross? How is that possible? Well, we're all sinners. That was the point of Romans 1 through 3. We are all sinners. We're in the same boat. The world stands condemned and guilty before God. Romans 5 is Paul's explanation of the last two words of Romans 4. What are the last two words of Romans 4? Our justification. Our justification. Romans 5 expands on that and explains those two basic truths to us. So, in Romans 5, we're not going to look at the entire chapter today. We're just going to look at the first 11 verses. And so... There's two basic truths that come up in, in the, uh, Romans chapter 5. First of all, we're, today we're going to look at the blessings of justification by faith alone. And then, Lord, Lord willing, next week we will look at the basis for our justification. What is the basis? We will see that in the last part of Romans 5. So today we're going to study the blessings of justification. What are these wonderful blessings that everybody who has received Christ by faith alone... Now, enlisting these blessings, Paul is accomplishing two purposes, okay? Think about this. Number one, first, he told how wonderful it is to be a Christian. It is wonderful to be a Christian, my friends. <laughs> my friend, if you are a Christian today, then you should be filled with joy and happiness. You should be. Sadly, too many Christians are not. And you say, well, why should we be filled with joy and happiness? Because justification is not just simply a guarantee of heaven. It is not just fire insurance. Yes, the guarantee of heaven is thrilling. The guarantee of heaven is a thrilling thing. It is a joyous thing. It is a happy thing. But it is also the source of tremendous blessing that we enjoy here and now. It's not just something you get to look forward to in the future if you're a Christian. The joy of justification is going to happen now. Well, that is great news. That is wonderful news. My hope, my friends, my hope is not only in the future, but my hope is in the present right now. It's right now. Well, that was the first purpose. The second purpose was to assure his readers that justification is a lasting thing. Is eternal security really eternal? And the answer that Paul gives, undoubtedly, is yes, eternal security is eternal. His Jewish readers in particular would ask the question, can this spiritual experience last if it does not require obedience to the law? 
Can this spiritual experience last? Well, what about trials and suffering of life? How do they play into this? Well, Romans 5 addresses that. What about the coming judgment? Romans 5 addresses that. You know, when God declared us righteous in Jesus Christ, he gave us seven spiritual blessings of justification that we see here in the first 11 verses of Romans 5. And and these spiritual blessings assure us that we have eternal security. This salvation that God gives to us is eternal. And you stand secure if your faith is in Christ alone. And so, my friend, be warned. If you can listen to these blessings today without getting excited, then you have never experienced God's salvation. Do you hear me? I say those words with fear and trembling. Because I look at some of you and I wonder, are you alive? Have you been regenerated? Have you been converted? Have you put your faith in Christ alone? I look at some of you and I do not see observable fruit. And God calls us to be fruit inspectors. Matthew chapter 7. So when I be a fruit, as I'm trying to do what Christ told me to do, be a fruit inspector, I'm looking for observable fruit. And some of you don't appear to be alive. Jesus said, when the tree is dead, cut it down. Throw it into the fire. It is useless. So my friend, are you alive? Does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? If you can look at these blessings without getting excited, then you have never experienced God's salvation. And I pray that God would open your eyes to behold wonderful things from his word today. So let's look at these blessings of justification. What are the blessings of justification? Number one, it's a simple, simple message today. With powerful, wonderful truths, okay? We're just answering this question. What are the blessings of justification? Number one, peace with God. Peace with God. Now, I want you to take note as we go through these first 11 verses of Romans 5, we see that Romans 5 starts with a therefore. We ask what it is there for. It is telling us about this wonderful truth of justification by faith alone. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, and then you're going to proceed as we go through these first 11 verses. And when I was observing this passage this week, the Holy Spirit hit me between the eyes because over and over and over again, at least seven times, I'm going to give you seven spiritual blessings. It says, look at the next words in Romans 5.1, we have... We have, over and over again, Romans 5, 1 through 11, it says, we have, because of justification by faith alone, we have, okay? Verse 2, it says, we have. Verse 3, we have. And it goes on and on and on through this passage. Because of justification by faith alone, we have. We have what? What do we have? What are these blessings? What do we have? Okay, well, let's look at these, okay? The we-haves are the blessings of justification by faith alone. Okay, number one, we have peace with God. And notice how it comes. Look at the end of verse one. How does it come to you? It is only through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is... Why is this a blessing, you might say? Why is this a blessing? 
Because the unsaved person is an enemy of God. My friend, if you are sitting here today and you have never put your faith in Christ alone, you are unsaved. And that makes you God's enemy. You say, well, where is that in the Bible? Look at Romans 5, verse 10. Look at Romans 5, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. So before you are reconciled to God, you are an enemy of God. (laughs) Now there's two verses from the book of Isaiah that make the matter very, very clear, I think. Isaiah 48, verse 22 says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. Isaiah 37 Verse 17a, the effect of righteousness will be peace. So the wicked don't have peace, so how does it come? Well, it's the effect of righteousness. That's how peace comes. Condemnation means that God declares us sinners, which is a declaration of war. God declares war on sinners. They are his enemy. But justification means that God declares us righteous, Which means that God no longer declares war on us, but then God declares peace. There is peace. And how is that made possible? As the end of verse 1 says, it's made possible by Christ's death on the cross. You can have peace with God. You can no longer... How do you stop being God's enemy? It's peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Psalm 85, verse 10. I think I have this up on the screen here for you. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. How? Righteousness and peace kiss each other. How does that happen? Well, it's, it's, it's because, well, first of all, the law brings wrath. The, the, the law brings wrath. The law declares God's righteous standard, which you and I cannot possibly ever keep. But Jesus Christ did. He fulfilled the law. But nobody condemned by the law can enjoy peace with God. That's impossible. But when you're justified by faith, you are declared righteous. And the law cannot condemn you or declare war on you any longer. So I say to that, my friends, amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for the peace of God. But this doesn't say peace of God, does it? Because that's something different. This is peace with God. You never get the peace of God until you get peace with God, my friends. So you want peace of God? You have to have peace with God first. The second blessing. First, the first blessing was peace with God. Number two. I mean, these are just coming straight from scriptures, okay? I shouldn't be telling you anything new here. But look at number two. It is access to God. Access to God. Look at verse two. Through whom also... We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Let's stop there. Now, why is this truth a blessing? Why is this truth a blessing, okay? You need to remember what happened in the Old Testament to understand this. Remember, the Jew was kept from God's presence by the veil in the temple. Remember, there was a huge veil, that thick veil that separated the holy of holies, which was so-called God's presence, from the Israelites. And and even the Gentile was kept out by a wall in the temple, and on that wall was a warning to any Gentile, do not go past this gate or you will be killed. (laughs) The Jews did not want any Gentiles in the temple. But what did Jesus do? 
When Jesus died, I put a, I put a picture up there, I think, didn't I hear? There's a picture of the veil in the temple being rent in two. Because when Jesus died, he tore that veil and he broke down the wall of division. In Christ, believing Jews and Gentiles have access to God. Now remember, who is Paul writing to here? He's writing to the, the church in the city of Rome. And in the city of Rome, there were Jews and Gentiles existing within the same church. That wall of division had been broken down. And that's wonderful truth. That in Christ, believing Jews and Gentiles have access to God, and then because of that, we can draw on those inexhaustible riches of God's grace. We stand, notice as it says there in verse 2, we stand in God's grace. We don't stand in the law. You cannot stand in the law. Every Christian should love that word access in verse 2. Every Christian should love that. That's a, that is an awesome word. What does it mean? It means a bringing in. It means an introduction. But the thought is that those who have been justified receive acceptance by God and you are able to enjoy God's grace. An unbeliever cannot enjoy God's grace. An unbeliever is not accepted by God because an unbeliever is an enemy of God. Now let me give you an illustration. If you're not getting the point here, hopefully you can get it by an illustration. Okay, listen closely. One day there was a little boy stood out the. He was standing outside the gates of Buckingham Palace in London, England. He wanted to talk to the king, but he was sternly repelled by the guards at the gate. And as he was Wiping the tears from his eyes because he was so despondent and so in despair. He, he was so looking forward to getting to talk to the king and, and see the king. He was crying, and, and, and as he was crying, a well-dressed man came along. This well-dressed man asked the little boy to explain his trouble. And when the, the man heard the story, he smiled and said, Here, hold my hand, Sonny. I'll get you in. Just never mind those soldiers. Little boy took the man's hand. He didn't know who he was. And to his surprise, he saw the soldiers leap to attention. They presented arms as his new friend approached the gates of Buckingham Palace. He was led past the guards to his amazement. And then he was led along the vast halls of Buckingham Palace, through the wide doors, and then on through a crowd of people, right up to the throne of the King of England. And he soon realized that he had taken the hand of the Prince of Wales, the king's son. And through the king's son, he had gained access to the king. I love that story because it, I think it illustrates very well what verse 2 of Romans 5 is telling us, that we have access to the king of kings through the son. Do you see, my friends, this is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for every believer. This is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for everyone who has put their faith in Christ. Those who have taken that nail-pierced hand of the King's Son now have access to God the Father. You say, why? Because of acceptance. Not because of anything you have merited, but it is because of acceptance. Because the war is over, God has declared peace with you. You are no longer His enemy, but you are now His friend. God no longer looks upon a believer with disfavor and wrath, but he looks upon you as an adopted son. 
I don't know about you, but when I, when I think of that truth of access to God the Father, I just have to say, oh, wow! Why me? I don't deserve that. What a blessing. The third blessing is glorious hope. Glorious hope. Look at the end of verse 2. It says, And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That is one of the blessings of justification by faith. It's a glorious hope. Now let's, let me just review for a moment here, lest you miss the point. Peace with God is something that takes care of the past. Peace with God takes care of your past. In other words, God will no longer hold our sins against us. Our sins have been atoned for. But access to God takes care of our present. We can come to God at any time for the help that you and I need. Are you starting to get the picture here? There are blessings that happen here and now. Here and now, you have some blessings. Whereas this, this phrase here, hope of the glory of God takes care of the future. One day, if you are a believer, you will share in God's glory. You will partake of the new Jerusalem, the capital city of heaven, where there is no light because there is no need of sun and moon and stars because the Lamb is the light thereof. When we were sinners, there was nothing to rejoice about. Romans 3.23 says we fell short of God's glory. We fell short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says, because we're all sinners. But in Christ Jesus, we rejoice in His righteousness and glory. It's the only thing we have to rejoice in. Paul, Paul said, what else do I have to boast in? What else do I have to rejoice in? There is nothing else except the cross of Christ. Number four, the fourth blessing of justification by faith alone is Christian character. Again, we see that Justification brings present blessing. It brings Christian character. Look at verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Please notice the progression there in verses 3 through 4. You can't get to the last one, which is hope, without the first one. There's a progression there. Oh, my friends, don't be fooled by the health and wealth gospel that so many preachers are preaching today. Does the scripture back up the health and wealth gospel? No. <laughs> Just if he, it, the scripture says here that justification is no escape from the trials of life. There is no assurance in scripture that when you become a Christian that, that, that your life is going to be perfect you will always be happy. You will never have any problems. You will never have any suffering or trials or pain. Scripture never gives you that kind of hope. In fact, Jesus Christ himself said in John 16, in this world you will have tribulations. But for the believer, think about this. Trials have effect on us. Trials work for us, those of us who are believers, they don't work against us. They work for us. No amount of suffering can separate us from the Lord. That's, that's the whole point of the end of Romans chapter 8. Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God. Romans 8. Well, instead, what do trials do? They bring us closer to the Lord. At least they should. They make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Trials are kind of like 
the, 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 it's putting pressure on us. It's turning us in from a lump of coal into a diamond. It's taking off the rough edges and conforming us to the image of Christ. That's what it's done in my life. And I'm sure probably if you're a Christian, you could give evidence and testimony to how trials have been used in your life to conform you to the image of Christ. It's true. In my life, the greatest times of spiritual growth in my life have been during the hardest times. Suffering builds Christian character. That's exactly what we see here in verses 3 and 4. Suffering builds Christian character. But notice the first point there. But we also glory in tribulations. That's what comes first. And as a result of tribulations, ultimately we have hope. The word character, by the way, in Romans 5 verse 4, means a character that has been proven. Character that has been proven. Now I want you to notice the sequence here. Okay, we're starting, some translations use the word suffering in the place of tribulations there. Uh, I like that word suffering. We're going from suffering to endurance to, the, to proven character, and then finally hope. Finally hope. Now, it seems natural for every one of us to exult in something which is positive. We love positive things, don't we? We love them. We want to exult in them. We want, you know, when it comes tes- testimony time, what do we do? We want to tell people how God has met our need, how God has healed us, or how God has provided this, or how someone was saved, or whatever. We want to talk about all those positive things. But verse 3 and 4 should, should cause all believers to see that, that, that their suffering has potential. Suffering has potential for positive growth. Uh, Vance Havner, in his book entitled, It is Toward Evening, tells the story of a small town that made its living entirely from growing cotton. Uh, sorry, from growing cotton. It's in the southern part of the states. In fact, the state of Alabama. Now, it was not a, a, a great living that they had as a result of that cotton, but it was a living. But one day, calamity struck. Uh, don't, don't go to the pictures yet, Aaron. But, but calamity struck one day when the bull weevil invaded the community and threatened to ruin everyone. And well, as it turned out, the farmers were as a result of the bull weevil, were forced to switch to another crop. They switched to, to, to peanuts and other crops that eventually brought them greater return than they would have made with cotton. Ultimately, that which had seemed a disaster became the basis for undreamed prosperity for this little town. And to register their appreciation, they erected a monument to the bull weevil. I've given you a picture here of the of the inscription on the monument, and then I'll show you a picture of the monument. The inscription on the monument said this, Bull Weevil Monument, December 11th, 1919, in profound appreciation of the bull weevil and what it has done at the Herald of Prosperity, this monument was erected by the citizens of Enterprise, Alabama. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It'd be a, yeah, it's Coffee County. I don't know, maybe, but uh, only in the Bible Belt of the United States do they erect monuments to bull weevils for destroying their crops. <laughs> don't you just love the, the, the attitude that these people have? They, they could see divine providence here. 
my friends, we all have bull weevil experiences. Every one of us has bull weevil experiences. Uh, I don't know what they are in your life, necessarily. It could be financial difficulties. Maybe, maybe for some of us, the recession has had, uh, had a bad effect on us. Maybe it's job failure. Hey, I lost a job not that long ago. Uh, maybe it's relational disappointments. Maybe some relationship you have isn't going very well or hasn't gone well. Maybe you're having some emotional hurt in your life of some kind. Maybe it's even a physical hurt. Um, you know, I'm dealing with a, with a benign tumor on my spine, which isn't very nice. But you know what? I'm thankful for that. In a way, that's, that's a bull weevil that I'm dealing with. Maybe you have some sort of a bull weevil experience you're dealing with. But uh, my friends, I hope you look at those in, in the light of divine providence. These are trials that can bump us out of our old ways and can force us into finding new ways to live for God's glory. Many so-called tragedies can turn to triumphs by God's grace. Let me read to you. I love biographies. Biographies are one of the greatest ways that you can feed your soul. And, and, and yesterday I was, I was reading in John Piper's book here, uh, Filling Up the Afflictions of Christ. I, I've come finally to John Patton. I love the story of John Patton. I encourage you to read his autobiography someday. But Patton went to the New Hebrides. And uh, the New Hebrides, by the way, are, are the, the islands uh, of Vanuatu. And his first four years in uh, Vanuatu, the New Hebrides, it was fruitless, utterly fruitless. In fact, it was a very discouraging time. His wife died. His child died. There was no fruit. There were no converts. And people were slandering him. People were criticizing him for having left Scotland, le- leaving a thriving a good ministry in Glasgow, Scotland, to go to these islands in the South Pacific. And here's what he said. He had to leave, eventually, after four years of, of no fruit on the island of Tana, he left that island, went to another island. But here's what he said. I'm, I'm quoting from his autobiography. He said, Some, Oftentimes, while passing through the perils and defeats of my first four years in the mission field on Tana, I wondered why God permitted such things. But on looking back now, I already clearly perceive that the Lord was thereby preparing me for doing and providing me materials wherewith to accomplish the best work of all my life. Namely, the kindling of the heart of Australian Presbyterianism with a living affection for these islanders of their own southern seas. And in being the instrument under God of sending out missionary after missionary to the New Hebrides, which is Vanuatu, to claim another island and still another for Jesus. That work and all that may spring from it in time and eternity never could have been accomplished by me, but for first the sufferings and then the story of my Tana experience. For John Patton, he had a bull weevil experience. And he praised God for it. And and by the time he left the New Hebrides Islands, here is what he said, I quote, I claimed Anawa, which is another island, I claimed Anawa for Jesus, and by the grace of God, Anawa now worships at the Savior's feet. Praise God. Praise God. I love biographies. I love God's grace, His power and might, working 
in countries like Vanuatu. Many of our tragedies can be turned into triumphs by God's grace. Thank God for them. One of the blessings of justification is Christian character. One commentator said it this way. Our English word suffering or, or tribulation in the new KJ here uh, comes from a Latin word tribulum. Sounds similar to tribulations. Of course, that's where we get the word tribulations. In Paul's day, a tribulum was a heavy piece of timber with spikes in it used for threshing the grain. The tribulum was drawn over the grain and it separated the wheat from the chaff. As we go through tribulations and depend on God's grace, the trials only purify us and help to get rid of the chaff. End quote. Are you allowing tribulations and sufferings, my friends, in your life to remove the chaff? To remove those things that are worthless and empty and vain? Are you? Or are you balking against them? Are you fighting the Christian character that God is trying to produce in your life, my friends? Don't do that. Rejoice in tribulation. Be thankful for those sufferings and trials that God is giving to you, my friend. And help others to see what God is doing in their lives as well. The fifth blessing is that God's love is within. Because of justification, you have God's love within. Look at verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who's the us? Those who are justified by faith. That's the us. Christ died for those who are justified by faith alone. Proverbs 13, verse 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. I hope your, your hope is not deferred, because that's going to make your heart sick. But as we wait for this hope to be fulfilled, the Bible says here that the love of God is poured into our hearts. Think of a glass. You pour water into a glass, my friends. Look at this little glass in my hands here. What happens to this glass as you pour water into it? Every part of it is filled, isn't it? Any air in there is pushed out. And the Bible is saying here that the love of God is poured into your heart. It fills you so that you are satisfied. What is he filling you with? He's filling you with the living water. And when you drink of the living water, who is Jesus Christ, you will never thirst again. Let me make you thirsty by drinking. Now note here, this is very interesting. If you are observing carefully in this passage, you will note that the first three fruit of the Spirit, of the Spirit are experienced in Romans chapter 5. We see love. What's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love, right? Look at Romans 5, verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. What's the second fruit of the Spirit? We have love, joy. Look at verse 2. 
through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice. Joy. What's the third fruit of the Spirit? Peace. Look at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace. So, before you and I were saved, if you're a Christian, God proved His love to you. How did He prove His love? How do you know that God loves you? The greatest way that God has demonstrated His love to you is in verse 8, right? How did God demonstrate His love to you? In that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God proved His love by sending Christ to die for us. And now that we are His children, surely He's going to love us even more. We were His enemies. And God loved us by sending His Son to die for us. But what does the Bible say? When you become a Christian, Romans chapter 8, you become adopted into His family. You become one of His sons. And do you think God loves you any less? No. No, my friend. God loves you even more, if that's even possible. Now that we are children, surely He's going to love us more. It is that inner experience of this love through the Holy Spirit that sustains us as we go through tribulations, doesn't it? That's the, it's certainly an experience in my life. I would have committed suicide a long time ago <laughs> if it wasn't for God, the hope that God gives to me through the power of the Holy Spirit and through His Word. Romans 5 verse 1 talks about faith. Romans 5 verse 2 talks about hope. And Romans 5 verse 5 talks about love. My friends, that is the, the trio that you see over and over again in Scripture. Faith, hope, and love. And all three of those combine here, Romans 5, to give the believers endurance in the trials of life. How can you endure through the trials of life without faith, hope, and love? You can't. You can't. Why do you think... Why do you think there is such a high suicide rate amongst teenagers in New Zealand? Uh, amongst our world today, I forget which it is. The statistics, I don't know if it's the girls or the guys. New Zealand ranks number one in suicide, teenage suicide. I don't remember if it's the guys or the girls. Why? New Zealand's not that bad of a place to live, is it? You know, physically speaking, I mean, it's a beautiful country. You know, it's not a third world country. We got lots of good food to eat. We got clean, fresh water to drink. It's fairly peaceful, relatively speaking. Not like Israel. So why are all these teens committing suicide? It's because they don't have the fruit of the Spirit. They don't have love, joy, and peace. Because they have never been justified by faith. They can't endure the trials of life without that. And because they love themselves too much, instead of loving God, they commit suicide. Well, endurance makes it possible for the believer to grow in character. How are you going to endure? How are you going to persevere? How are you going to be matured as a child of God? Well, that requires endurance. That requires perseverance. You notice that's one of the things mentioned here. The uh, publication Daily Bread's written a, a, an interesting story I want to relate to you. During the Revolutionary War, that's the, uh, the war for independence in the states that took place during the uh, late 1700s, 
Anyway, during that Revolutionary War, there was a faithful preacher of the gospel by the name of Peter Miller. He lived near a fellow who hated him intensely for his Christian life and testimony. In fact, this man violently opposed him, ridiculed the people of the church, and one day the unbeliever was found guilty of treason and was sentenced to death by hanging. Well, hearing about this, Peter Miller set out on foot to intercede for the man's life before George Washington. The general listened to the minister's earnest plea, but told him he did not feel he should pardon his friend. My friend? He is not my friend, answered Miller. In fact, he's my worst living enemy. What? said Washington. You have walked 60 miles on foot, 100 kilometers on foot, to save the life of your worst living enemy? That, in my judgment, puts the matter in a different life, said Washington. I will grant your request. With pardon in hand, Miller hastened to the place where his neighbor was to be executed and arrived just as the prisoner was walking to the scaffold to be hung. When the traitor saw Miller, he exclaimed, Old Peter Miller has come to have his revenge by watching me hang. But he was astonished as he watched the minister step out of the crowd and produce the pardon which spared his life. My friends, no doubt Peter Miller performed a noble act that day, didn't he? I would have found it very difficult to do what he did. But my friends, this brings a point that Romans 5 is talking about here. This story that Peter Miller has here is just a shadow of what Christ did for those who are justified by faith. Why? Because Christ not only obtained his enemies' pardons, but Christ died for those who were his enemies to accomplish pardon for them. He died in their place. He died in my place while I was his enemy. Not because I merit salvation, not because I'm some good person. There is nothing good within me. He did it to demonstrate his love while I was a sinner. And he did it for you as well. The sixth blessing of justification by faith alone is that salvation, we have salvation from future wrath. We have salvation from future wrath. Look at verse 9. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Oh, my friends, that is an awesome verse. That is an awesome verse. Paul argued here, from the lesser to the greater. In other words, what, what, what Paul's saying here, if God saved us when we were his enemies, surely he's going to keep on saving us now that we are his children. Now he is going to continue to do that work in us, ultimately to glorification. Yes, my friends, there is a wrath to come. It is coming. The day of judgment is coming, but no true believer is going to experience it. The believer will not experience it. The believer will not experience the great white throne which Revelation talks about. For the believer, you have the judgment seat of Christ. A time of reward. 
This time of reward will be, be, will be based on the deeds that you do in your body while you are here on earth. The question is, is it wood, hay, stubble, which will be burned up? And you will find that your life was wasted. Or will you stand before Jesus Christ and find that the deeds of your life were gold, silver, and precious stones? My friend, do not waste your life on frivolous things that do not, do not last for eternity. What lasts for eternity? There's only two things. If you don't want to waste your life, spend your life on these two things. The Word of God and souls. The Word of God and souls. That is how you will not waste your life. Well, that phrase there, I love the phrase in verse 10, saved by his life. What is that talking about? That is referring back to Romans 4, verse 25, which says that, we, that Christ was raised again on account of our justification. In other words, my friends, because he lives, because he arose from the grave, because he didn't stay in the grave, because death could not conquer Jesus, we are eternally saved. Think about this. Let's use this illustration of a will. A will is of no effect until the death, uh, it, uh, until the death of the one who wrote that will. I have a will, and it is in a safe place. My father-in-law is the executor of that will. So that if it be the Lord's will for me to die and my children should survive me, then, Lord willing, my father-in-law, who is still alive, would be the executor of that will so that my children would be taken care of. But that will is of no effect to my children. They're going to receive nothing of that will, not that there is anything all that much to receive anyway. They're not going to get anything from that will as long as I'm alive. Please don't tell them that. They might think about killing me. But anyway... An executor, when an executor takes over a will and he looks at it to see it, that that will is obeyed and that the inheritance is distributed, at least that's what he's supposed to do, that's what's going to happen if he's an honest executor of the will. But let's suppose the executor is dishonest and he wants to get the inheritance for himself. He's not supposed to do that, but... You know, that's the way human nature is, right? We're sinners. Uh, let's suppose he figured out uh, some devious way to avoid the law and steal the inheritance. Heaven forbid that that should happen to you or anyone else. Well, let's think about that in relation to our, to our spiritual inheritance. How are we saved by Christ's life? How are we saved by Christ's life? Well, the Bible says that Jesus Christ wrote us into his will. You are in the will of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's will. And he wrote the will with his blood. Jesus said in, in Luke 22, verse 20, This cup is the new covenant. How? In my blood, which is shed for you. He died so that the will would be in force, and then you know what he did? Because what? The will is, no, is of no effect as long as the person's alive, right? So Christ died brought the will into effect, and then he arose again from the dead, he returned to heaven that he might enforce that will himself and then distribute the inheritance. That is how we are saved by his life. 
We are saved on account of his resurrection. That's how we're saved, by his life. Isn't that a wonderful truth? I love it. The seventh and last blessing of justification by faith alone is reconciliation with God. Reconciliation with God. Look at verse 11. And not only that. Notice, here we go, here we go. Again, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have. There we go. There's those two words again. We have. We've seen them over and over and over again. As a result of justification by faith, we have. We have. We have. We have. We have. What do we have? We have now received the reconciliation. That's a wonderful word, reconciliation. You need to know that word well. You need to study that word. You need to pray about that word. You need to thank God for that word because it means to be brought back into fellowship with God. In Romans chapter 1, we saw that Paul explained how men declared war on God. Men defied God. In the light of his plain revelation, we defied God. We declared war on God. And because of this, we deserve eternal condemnation. That's what Romans 1 says. We suppress the truth. Even though that truth is plain, it's in our face, it's all around us. His creation is plain that there is a creator who has designed all this. It is plain. It is simple. It's in our face. You cannot miss it. But what do we do? We suppress it. We suppress the truth. (laughs) And in the light of that, what did God do? Did God declare war on us? We declared war on him. Did God declare war on us? No. (laughs) Instead, what did God do? God sent his only begotten son as the peacemaker that those who believe might be reconciled to God. That is the only way that you can be reconciled to God because, my friends, every single one of you in this room and anybody who listens to this sermon, my friends, know this. You have declared war on God. But God did not declare war on you. He sent his peacemaker, who is Jesus Christ, to make peace. The only hope that you and I have. (laughs) Now, how do we respond to this passage of Scripture? How do we respond to these wonderful blessings of justification? Well, let me give you just one point of application, which I think is very clear in verse 11. Verse 11 gives us the answer. Verse 11 gives us the answer. It says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in who? We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. In other words, my friends, we exalt in God himself. Should you look at these blessings of justification and say, oh man, do I deserve these or what? No! You don't deserve any of these blessings of justification. That's not why you get these. My friends, you should not boast in these. You should not glory in these. You should glory in the cross of Christ. We should boast and exult in God himself. Our rejoicing, by the way, is not some theological chest beating. This is not some theological chest beating and say, oh, look at me. <laughs> no. This, you ought to have a, a, a humble confidence in God. Listen to what John Stott said about this section. I quote, 
We should be the most positive people in the world. We cannot mooch round the place with a drooping, hang-dog expression. We cannot drag our way through life moaning and groaning. We cannot always be looking on the dark side of everything as negative prophets of doom. No, we exult in God. Then every part of our life becomes suffused with glory. Christian worship becomes a joyful celebration of God and Christian living a joyful service of God. So come, let us exult in God together. End quote. I love it. That's a great way to put it. That's exactly what verse 11 is saying. Not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, are you doing that? Are you doing that? I tell you, it's a bit depressing when I look at some of you sing. I just got to tell you this, okay? And when I'm looking at you preaching, it's a bit depressing sometimes. Show the joy of Jesus on your face. Let your heart inform your face of what your heart is thinking. What does the Bible say, by the way? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. My friends, if your heart is not speaking and rejoicing in God himself and what he has done for you, then there is nothing going on in your heart. Your heart is dead. And you need to pray for God to regenerate your heart, to open your eyes to behold the wonderful truths of justification by faith. You don't know it if you're not rejoicing in it. Well, isn't justification a blessing, my friends? Can you say amen? Amen? Amen. Now, that didn't sound convincing. Okay, here's my point. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I ask the question, isn't justification a blessing? And what do I get? That's, that's, that, no, that's not good enough. Let's say that again. Isn't justification a blessing? Amen. Amen. Well, a review of these seven blessings of justification shows us just how certain our salvation is in Christ. It is certain, my friends. So the question we ask, do you have assurance of hope? Do you have eternal security? Is eternal security really eternal? And the answer is absolutely yes. All Christians are eternally secure. But if you're not a Christian, my friend, you are not eternally secure. My friends, if you have never put your faith in Christ alone, by his grace in Christ alone, then you're not saved. You are on your way to the lake of fire and you will burn forever in the lake of fire? All Christians are eternally secure. Totally apart from the law, purely by God's grace, we have a salvation. You know, what it, you know what this salvation does? As it says here, this salvation takes care of our past, present, and future. It's all taken care of. Christ lived the life that we should have, li- uh, that we should have lived. Christ died the death that you and I should have died. Christ arose from the grave. And Christ is now at the right hand of the throne of God. And Christ continues to live for us and plead on our behalf as our great high priest. And guess what? Christ is coming again, my friends. Praise God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious truth, these wonderful blessings of justification by faith alone. If there is any one of my friends who hears this message, who does not know this glorious truth of the finished work of Christ for them, may today be the day of their salvation. May may they know 
that they are eternally secure and that nothing or no one, not even Satan, can pluck them out of your hand. Well, my Christian friends here, I pray for them that they would rejoice in you and that they would find you to be their greatest treasure, that they would live for you, that they would think of you, that they would meditate upon you, that they would serve you with their life, that they would live for eternal values, for your word and for the souls of men, and that they would not waste their lives. Heaven forbid that we should go through life with our treasures laid up in gold, silver, precious stones, and things that rust, and things where the moths eat, and things where, where thieves break in and steal. But may our affections be set on things above and not on the earth. May these glorious theological truths burn deep in our heart. May we have a passion for them. May these theological truths may it not make us the frozen chosen. But may they make us passionate, zealous, enthusiastic Christians who, who are the light of the world, who, do, who are not covering our lights with a bushel so that, so that we are the secret agent Christians where no one can see, but we, we shine brightly like a light on a hill for all the world to see. May we be salt, shedding that salt, being that influence you, that, that we are as Christians. Father, please do that work in our lives. We cannot do that on our own. May, may none of us try to do that in our own strength, that it's impossible. So by your grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, regenerate us, sanctify us, and we look forward to one day you ultimately glorifying us. Until that day, may we be accurate images of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.